As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 98. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, my book, Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything, just hit bookstore shelves last week. Thanks so much for your support. The book is off to a strong start, and it's all because of you. If you want to buy it and haven't yet, would you please pick up your copy now? Those early sales are really important because they signal to retailers how many copies to order, how much shelf space to allot, and how much to feature the book on their site or in their store. But readers, there are tons of ways to support reading people or any book by your favorite authors without spending a dime. You could add it to your want-to-read shelf on Goodreads, or recommend it to a friend, or ask your library to purchase a copy and then check it out, or leave a review on a site like Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or post about it on social media. Buy Reading People wherever new books are sold. It's available as a paperback, an ebook, and an audiobook, and I narrate that version myself. Whatever you choose to do, thank you for spreading the book love. This week, I'm chatting with Ricky and Michaela. Two Seattle-area friends and serious book lovers who knew each other for years before they discovered they shared a love of reading. Now, barely a year later, they say it's the best part of their friendship. In today's episode, we discuss what it means to live a literary lifestyle, why they believe in reading with the seasons, and how scary it can be to recommend your favorite book to your best friend. We also explore how they create meaningful, interactive experiences to bring favorite books to life, like their literary dinner parties. I'm pretty sure I say this every week, but this is a fun one. Let's get to it. Ricky and Michaela, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Hi. Well, this is just one of a few times where we've had multiple guests on the show. The last time was a married couple, but I feel like you all might not be that different because you've known each other forever, <laughs> right? Yeah, about six years. Yeah. What author has the quote about some people we can know our whole lives and we feel like we never know them, but some people we've only known a few years and we feel like they've been in our lives forever? Yes, completely applicable. Yes. <laughs> Don't know who said it, but that's a good one. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you all are here together because we are talking about the difference you all have made in each other's reading lives and we're getting you all your next buddy read, right? Yes. yes. We're so excited. Me too. How do you all know each other? So I was in college, it was my senior year, and I had to do a thesis. And my thesis topic happened to coincide with one of Ricky's life experiences. And so I got to interview her. And I 
kind of knew her through a mutual friend, but that was the first time we had sat down one one on one. And after the interview was over, we kind of just kept talking yeah. in a coffee shop for a long time. Yeah. And so that sort of just spurred a friendship. Were you all both in Seattle at the time? Yes, we lived actually at the time, like four minutes from each other. Mm-hmm. Up until recently, we have been within almost walking distance yeah. of one another until we just moved. <laughs> oh, was that a factor? I mean, was that on the cons list that it would be more than four minutes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when it, when we started um, the Ardent Biblio, before it was even the Ardent Biblio, when we started just realizing that there was a shared passion for books, which honestly we did not realize the first five years of our yeah, friendship. No idea. Um, it ended up becoming the best part because both of our husbands were gone. Um, one evening a week at the same time, my husband was in school, her husband was working late. Um, and then we're like, Hey, we're alone every evening, this day of the week, want to be alone together. <laughs> and, and so that's how, you know, that, that convenience of living close together was, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're both passionate readers and I would assume have been your whole lives. Is that the case? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you didn't know this about each other for the first five years. No. (laughs) And that is what is so weird. We realized that reading is so secluded that like even being friends for this long, we had no idea. And in all fairness, when we first met, I had a younger toddler. And then shortly after my daughter grew a little more, she had a baby. So it was definitely a time in our lives where reading would have taken a bit of a backseat. Um, so I guess if you want to be a little bit fair to us in that sense, that would have been the reason why we wouldn't have known so early on that we were both readers. So when did the big reveal happen? Um, last fall, we were getting together every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I had... and it was just for dinner. Yeah, too. it was just for dinner. We both have kids. Kids like to play together. So um, I had been thinking about how on the internet there are so many review blogs and those are great. Like if you want to go check out a book and see if it's for you, those are really helpful. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't seeing a lot of how books impacted people's lives and how they were interacting with them and like more of a literary lifestyle take. Mm -hmm. And I decided since it didn't exist, I was going to make it. And obviously being the internet, you photographs translate your ideas a lot better. And I knew she was a photographer (laughs) And so I kind of approached her and was like, look, I'm starting this thing. I don't really know what I want to do with it. But like, this is my basic outline. Do you want to collaborate? And then I basically lost my mind as soon as she showed me her beginning Instagram that so I didn't even know there was like a bookstagram world existed. And then once she showed me her idea and her blog, I was like, oh, my gosh, like if there's room for me in this, I want in. This is amazing. And that's really how it started. We we just hit the ground running and we've been going ever since. So I know what you mean about how there are there are lots of book review blogs, but there's so much bookish enthusiasm in other ways. Can you unpack what you think of when you think literary lifestyle? Oh, definitely. We think about literary community. We think about independent bookstores. We think about libraries. We think about seasonal reading. We think about all the ways that books are actually interacting with your life much more than just reading it. Like taking our kids to the library and raising mm-hmm. readers and wanting to instill that love and supporting all the interesting local literary events. We go to book clubs. Yeah. There's just so much, so many ways that books touch your life that you don't necessarily think about consciously, but is so important. And for me, it, um, it kind of started with my daughter was learning to read just before she hit, went into kindergarten. 
And I was realizing that if I wanted her to be a reader, if I wanted her to love books like I was hoping she would, that they needed to see that regularly in me, like within my real lifestyle, including that with reading, if that makes sense. Um, and so then with Michaela's idea coming out, um, it was just the timing was just side by side. It was so perfect. And then, you know, it was like, oh, well, I should take my kids to the local library. This is a resource to utilize more. And then it was Michaela's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to library, too. And so just between that, we realized there's this whole world that we need to bring out better. And we want to share that with each other. And then we wanted to share that with other people. Like, did you know <laughs> your local library is an amazing place to take your kids if you don't have anything else to do? Or if, if you want something better to do or if you didn't want to spend a fortune on their activities, like it's just it's a thing you can do with your children, with your friends, and it's fun. <laughs> like, you don't have to be by yourself at all. And we talk about, you know, reading seasonally and why we want to do that and, like, yeah. what impact books are having emotionally in our lives or role they're playing, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. kind of just plays in. And we do a lot of fun stuff, too. We even borrowed your uh, book flight idea, and we're mm-hmm. playing on that a little bit. And there's just a lot of unexplored topics that people just don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I love it. Okay. Tell me about these literary dinner parties you all throw. <laughs> so it started with um, deciding to buddy read together because I feel like I've read nothing. And Michaela's like, oh, I've read everything in school. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm just feeling really insignificant and insecure about what I've read or never read. Um, and so she's like, well, here, try this one. And it's like, okay, I'll read that. And then I'd come back and like, hey, that's really great. And then, oh, by the way, there's a movie. Want to hang out and we have dinner that night and watch it? And so that's how it originally started. And then, yeah, I has already been kind of throwing themed parties. I did um, premiere parties for TV shows that I liked. And I (laughs) threw my nieces a Harry Potter party while they were here just for fun. And I one day just clicked like I can do this for books, too. Absolutely. And she would send me pictures. And I was like, wow, I that never would have crossed my mind. Like, I don't know how you can pull it together. I was like, but we should do this. Like, this looks like fun. And it's been one of the greatest little adventures we've taken together so far in making our reading lives even more tangible than they were. And now we have a memory with it because we remember sitting together and talking about the book, like in our little scene and like having dinner. And it just really cements it in your brain as something memorable versus just a book that you read and forget. And books are just really easy to pull details from. So many of them are rooted in time and place and have details about surroundings and food and just pulling those things out. It made us really pay attention Mm -hmm. to the book. Tell me about your favorite literary dinner party you've thrown so far. I don't know. (laughs) They're constantly evolving. I feel like every single one we do is better than the last. Yeah. But I'd say when we started some of our first, we did um, last fall and winter. And so really quick. So Michaela taught me about what seasonal reading was like, I've never read books based on the season before. And I was like, is this a thing? And she's like, yeah, you should try it. And so we did. And so some of the first ones we did were little women and withering heights. Jane Eyre. Um, Jane All Eyre. the moody books. <laughs> yeah. And so it fit with the season and I would, <clears throat> and with little women that for me, that was what took it because I had actually never read it before. Uh, but I grew up with it with my mom, you know, so I'd already had this slight attachment to it because my mom loves little women. And then we read the book and I loved the book. And then we made this dinner and it ended up being just, it was such a fun thing to do together and we got to talk about, you know, the March sisters and, and what we thought of the book and how we could pull elements from 
the dinners that they literally had on their rustic table in their cute little house. Um, and we pulled elements from that made, you know, what was compared to now is a much more simple dinner, but it was just as warm and inviting and fun to do together. Um, and so to me, I think kind of back a little nostalgically about it, um, but they have gotten, you know, increasingly better, uh, over time. And, um, yeah. So it's I'd say it's hard to pick just one favorite because they're all so unique and so fun. They're totally all unique memories for us. Yeah. And I see what you mean about the experience being so memorable because what is it the scientists say about the more senses you engage, the stickier it is? Absolutely. That's so true. So what did you serve at your little women party? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. It's more just like the feeling of being there together and hanging out. I think we did a tea that time though. Oh yeah, we've yeah. done like high, like a high tea style. Uh, what would you call it? Like just a, a scones and tea. And yeah, there's been a couple of books that's been appropriate for. Uh, we did Gatsby pretty recently, and that one we did a lot of appetizers um, instead of like a meal because the party seems much. It's like the biggest thing in that book, so we pulled a lot more from like fun party food. So there's a formula we've kind of followed with some where we do like appetizer, the dinner and a dessert and or tea. Um, so with back to little women. So we've done like <clears throat> we'll do a cheese or charcuterie um, board, a charcuterie board, which is fun. And then we would take turns cooking. And so for little women, I had made a like a beef stew over some pasta. We had rustic bread and wine. Um, and then we did a dessert platter with um with macaroons and other cute little cakes and just honestly it goes with what it you know the a stew for little women seemed appropriate it was very just simple and easy um and delicious and so that you know, yeah it's fun i was so excited to see that you'll have a connection through these literary dinner parties with one of our previous what should i read next guests andrea griffith who owns browser's books in she's in olympia right mm -hmm. she is too far from me <laughs> but it's only like 30 minutes for us <laughs> really it's that close yeah that event looked amazing online can you tell me a little bit about the cookbook club and what you all did for that in-person event yeah they were um they have a cookbook club quarterly which they pick a cookbook and have all the members cook something from it and bring it potluck style and we um basically just asked if we could come in and help style the event and add some ambiance and she said yes, which was really exciting. So we got to go and go early and we set up the tables with just like a nice eclectic mix of just kind of modern things. We wanted to keep it really in the feel mm -hmm. of the bookstore and not um, clash with what she already has going. It's so beautifully like vintage modern in there. Mm -hmm. And so we really tried to pull that in and like create some some mood in that event. And then Ricky, of course, photographed. <laughs> and it was so fun because, you know, we love visiting our local independent bookstores, which we've done exclusively over the past year throughout Seattle, uh, Tacoma, and Olympia. And browsers just happened to be on that list. And so when we did reach out to Andrea, um, we basically fangirled over each other. And we, you know, we're like, we love what you do. We, you know, the bookstore dream job, right? To, to run a bookstore. And then she's like, well, I love what you guys do. And so it was just, it was such a fun way to, to bring that part of the community together and meet other people. Um, yeah. And we met so many amazing people that night. It was really fun. And Andrea is just the sweetest. Yeah, so. absolutely. Her yeah. and Kelly were great. Yeah. I love the idea of her cookbook club that the cookbooks don't get all the love when it comes to book gatherings, but they're perfect for them because of the food and 
having people bring their own, that just sounds like it made it sound like she didn't already have an amazing community. A cookbook club would certainly help foster one. Yeah, it was really, really fun to go to. And a really good um, demonstration that books don't have to be high literature to be enjoyed and have an impact. That was something that Kelly had said while we were there and it stood out to me and I was like, oh my gosh, that is so on target for for what we want to do because we want people to realize like even if even if it's a book you read 20 years ago and you have fond memories of it you can still bring it out in your life without rereading it if you don't have time or maybe it will spark a new interest to reread it again or a new book um and so when it's like it doesn't have to be fine literature to bring you together it was just like wow this is exactly exactly right because it doesn't it can be anything anything in the book world that you know, that resonates with you, whether it's cooking, whether it's classics, whether it's new contemporary books, it doesn't matter. You know, books, it's all reading. It's all now touch your life. Yeah. It makes you feel things. And that's what we, you know, that's what we want to touch on. Do you have any plans to take the show on the road in the future? I mean, we hope so. (laughs) That would be really fun to expand. It's definitely something we've thought about. Um, Ricky is due with baby number three here in uh, about a month. So Mm -hmm. uh, after that, we're going to be gearing up to see what's next. Yeah, we'll stay tuned. We'll put photos of all these on the What Should I Read Next Instagram and in our show notes. Tell me about buddy reading. Buddy reading is probably one of the best additions to our reading lives that we've Mm -hmm. we've done. Having somebody else right next to you that had maybe a different experience with the book and Mm -hmm. to sit and talk about it and bouncy. Often Ricky picks up things that I don't and vice versa. We pick out different parts of the book that we enjoyed. We and it's always a positive virtuous cycle. As well, we and talk. We're, we're really different readers, actually. Yeah. We, our genres and styles and what we love about books is very unique to one another. Um, and so with her, like, I wanted to read more classic literature. I wanted to kind of circle back to everything that I should have read in, like, you know, grade school to now, I wanted to catch up on. Because I, if I read it, I don't remember. And I wanted to have that experience again. And Michaela thankfully has a brilliant memory when it comes to all the things she's read. And so, you know, we, she would recommend a classic and then we would go back and forth and pick one for each month. Um, yeah, we trade off who gets to choose. (laughs) Yeah. And then we started diving into, you know, not just classics, but newer books or just different kind of books, you know, that were more based on the season or just to whisk you away on a, a traveling journey just for the fun of it. I've even done nonfiction. Um, And so we, you know, there's books that she's read from me or I've read from her that we didn't like as well. And so we can rant and rave about how much we loved or hated the book together. Um, And it's, it's just a fun way to, to really go full circle with, with different books and having somebody else to talk to about it. How is buddy reading different from book club? Book club, uh, the dynamic is a lot different. You have a lot more people. The conversation usually jumps around a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, with just us, we can focus our conversation on what we really want to get said. Mm-hmm. We love book club because then you get a lot more opinions and you get a lot mm-hmm. more people with their take on things. But I don't know. Buddy reading feels so intimate and it is much more fun intimate. and it's intimate, but it's social. And that's yeah. I think, the best part, because not only do we get to pick what we want to read, um, which we've done in book clubs too. We've been able to recommend books that everybody's read. Um, but with buddy reading, you know, we get to go full out in our emotions with what made us feel. And so I'm a very passionate person as it is. So I can, you know, get all my frustrations out and she will completely hear me and understand and resonate even if she doesn't agree. 
And and then, you know, of course, from there, we tie it into our dinner parties, which is even more, you know, it takes you even further into the book versus book club where we, you know, kind of get to hang out and, and chat with a bunch of different people and all their viewpoints. So um, yeah, it's, it's, just it's, it's quite different, but it's equally wonderful. They, yeah, they fill different spaces for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite or especially memorable buddy read? That's a good question. All of them. I love Jane Eyre because, again, I had never read it before. We both had um, really strong feelings about Wuthering Heights, so I still kind of rant and rave about that book. Yeah. It was, so I, I struggle with what favorite means in the book world, and so I'm sure we'll get to that. But, um, you know, I've read Michaela's favorite. She loves The Great Gatsby, and so we, we read that book together, and we threw the dinner party. Um, Which having your best friend read your favorite book is a little <laughs> nerve-wracking. <laughs> but, I mean, I was able to appreciate it in a greater context because I knew she loved it, and I was able to see things in a way that I wouldn't have by myself because she would pull out these details, and I was like, oh, right, that was a really good point to take out. Or she would explain things, um, you know, from the writer, from writers of, of the books that I, I may not have ever thought of. Or Yeah, and there's been books that she liked and I didn't like either. <laughs> <laughs> it goes both ways, which is fun to do. Yeah, and, and because, you know, we are close friends, we can have that, openness that, that absolutely and we not we don't offend one another no and and like i don't like that book that you recommended and it's like that's fine that's okay i can see why yeah yeah okay so today we're going to hear both your favorites and not favorites and choose three potential next buddy reads yay yay so excited for that okay well you all know how this works you tell me three books you love one book you hate and what you've been reading lately and we talk about what you should read next sounds good Who wants to start? Um, so one of my, my first favorite book is, we'll just go right into The Great Gatsby. <laughs> we were just talking about that. Um, I love that book. That book just like pulls my heartstrings in all the right places. It's that just heart aching nostalgia. It's Fitzgerald's just brand of magic with his writing. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't write fantasy, but it, the writing is just so magical in its own way. And I just yeah. love sinking into that feeling. That's fun to hear. I love that book. And Gatsby inspires strong reactions from a lot of people. Yes. Love it or hate it. And most people know the plot. You know, a lot of people had to read it in high school. I think if you only read it in high school, you're doing yourself kind of a disservice because it is so based on nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And what 16 year old has a whole lot to be nostalgic about. (laughs) (laughs) I did my very first term paper on the nature of time in the great. Ah, Very cool. And I don't hate it. So I think that's kind of a miracle. Yeah. But made it through. Michaela, what's your second favorite? Uh, my second favorite is A Secret History by Donna Tartt. Ooh, yes. Which, again, just so atmospheric. Uh, she, even though this is um, set in our world, she does an amazing job world building. The college, the town, how all of the characters and the settings interact. Her writing, again, is just gorgeous. And again, with that atmosphere, I just love it. Mm-hmm. I Again, that's a book I want to wrap myself up into. It's It veers toward melodramatic sometimes, but in the best way. <laughs> I just can't eat that book. <laughs> so you're okay with melodrama if it earns it? It has to be beautiful. I can forgive almost anything as long as the writing is really, really strong. I like it. What's your next favorite? My final favorite is Tigana by Guy Gabriel Kay. 
Uh-huh. Not the book I expected to round out a list like this. I actually really love fantasy. Um, and this one was is interesting because he does historical fantasy, which sounds bonkers. <laughs> Basically, he researches about a time and place and then makes that real setting in real time and twists it into fantasy. He doesn't do a lot of like high fantasy, but his writing, again, super lyrical, super a super nostalgic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, basically, the setup for this one is that two wizards have come, and they're the only ones that have magic in the book. The rest of it is fairly like realistic. And one of them wins the battle and wipes out a whole generation of people and their the name of their country. So nobody, if you're not born there, nobody can hear or say the word Tigana. And so the Tiganese, who have lost their homeland, lost every everybody's memory is gone of them, are struggling to try to reclaim that. And it explores a lot of mythology. It explores a lot of what it means to be from somewhere. It's very character driven. Uh, it is a slow burn. It's a big book. And the payoff is huge. And again, Guy Gabriel K, his writing is just the most beautiful. It's the kind where you stop the book just shut it and just take a minute to appreciate the sentence you just read. (laughs) I, that was the first experience I had with that kind of writing. I was probably a younger, maybe mid teens when I first picked him up and it just blew my mind. I've never read that, but I'm intrigued, especially because I like your other favorites. Yeah. They all are very similar in tone and atmosphere. I think just kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Michaela, what's the book you're not so crazy about? I do not like The Hunger Games. <laughs> Tell me why. I That was the book that made me realize I do not like dystopia. Um, that book fell so flat for me. I felt like it was oversimplistic. Um, the more layered plot she was trying to do didn't work for me. I didn't like the characters. The story made me kind of uncomfortable, which is strange because I don't normally shy away from things like that. And I just, I just don't like dystopia. I just don't. Okay, that's interesting. At first, I thought you might just say that the premise, like the actual games that are the Hunger Games, was just really distasteful and creepy and horrible. And you didn't want to read stuff like that. But that's just one of many factors. It is. <laughs> okay. I, I kind of like that that's why you oh, hate yeah. it. I mean, I read that book in probably like four hours. Don't get, I mean, I'm, I'm not trashing it, but I do like that this is a well thought out opinion, not like a knee jerk. Oh, I would never read that kind of thing. No, I read it all the way through, but I put it down and I was like, well, I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. True. Sometimes it just doesn't land. Ricky. Yes. How much overlap is there between your all's reading taste? Immense. There's a huge, huge overlap. So that's a good example, actually, is I enjoyed The Hunger Games. Now, I wouldn't say I loved it or anything like that, but I like the concept of the hardship, fighting for what's right, and more or less coming out on top, if that's not inappropriate to say about that book, because, you know, it's there's so much horrible stuff in it but I was able to appreciate the dystopia of it because it felt I don't want to say real but it wasn't like it wasn't hard to imagine in a real type of setting and that's why I don't like dystopia I don't like the plausibility it scares me (laughs) yeah so um I think I'm a little bit more imaginative when it comes to that kind of thing but that's a, a good example there for us is how different we are in our reading lives because they're so different they're so so different Ricky, what's on your favorites list? 
So I struggle with this question so much. I can't honestly say that I have a favorite per se, but I do have a list of books that I can say that I really love. And so my first choice um, is Unbroken by Lauren Hill and Brand. And I think I had seen the movie actually before I read the book, but it had been probably years in between. And I didn't correlate the two at the time. I didn't realize um, that it was about Louisiana Perini, who's this incredible Olympian with this rough history and this incredible, you know, story. Um, so if you don't know about him, you're doing yourself a disservice and you need to go look him up and read his story because it's incredible. Um, and so I don't honestly even remember how I, oh, I came across the book because I love um, historical fiction. I love the World War II setting. Um, I love, I mean, I just like to learn. I like to learn about it. And I don't feel like I had enough history in school. So the more I can learn and enjoy from a book, the better. Um, and so reading about Louis Zamperini for me was just incredible because I resonate with him um, on a very light scale. I can't say I've been through anything comparable to him. Um, but it's so Lauren Hillenbrand writes a story about him and his rough childhood and how that translated into him being a track superstar and an Olympian and what it was like growing up in his time before World War II um, and basically rising from the ashes in his story. And then he, you know, is whisked away and it's just the, the things he's able to endure and overcome just by pure grit and spirit was so captivating, so encouraging and motivating to me that I just... I, I love it so much. I barely have words to really even um, explain it, but I just, it's in her research. Oh my gosh. So that is a huge tie for me is the, um, the writer and the story. And so if you know anything about Lauren Hillenbrand, you know, she suffers from a chronic fatigue syndrome, um, which she knows she gets a lot of slack for. It's like, how is this really an issue? But it's no joke been a lifelong struggle for, or well, not lifelong, but a, a long-term struggle for from her like school days. Um, and so her ability to research that book to li like, I literally felt like I was flying on B 24. Like I, you know, I knew what it felt like to be, um, you know, tucked up under the gun where Louie was to be in the cockpit flying, to be stuck on a raft in the Pacific ocean for, for over a month. And to, to be given that, like I have such a vivid imagination to be given that kind of detail from a woman who can't even hardly leave her home. I mean, my hat is off to her. That's incredible. Um, and so I loved, one of the things I learned about her, I loved was that Bill Darren was an aviation enthusiast and he was able, she was able to talk him into coming to her house even before they had met and brought literal World War II combat equipment for her to learn exactly how it works. I think there was an article where she jokingly said she spent an hour bombing Chicago. You know, she had it at a map and um, had a map up taped up and learn how to use these weapons that Louisiana Green would have really used. And it just ties the whole story in so completely that I just, I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I love her. She's written an amazing piece about her chronic fatigue syndrome that really did make me realize, oh, this isn't the thing that a couple of my friends used to complain about so they didn't have to stand up and choir in high school. This is a debilitating, life-changing illness. And she writes about the sudden onset and it's really fascinating. Also, I was so excited to see a couple of years ago that she has another book in the works now, but that means we won't be reading it until like 2025 or something like that. But I'm still really glad to know that it is in progress. 
Yes. And I'm thankfully I'm quite patient. I'm not rushing to get to her book because as soon as I do, then I read it and it's over and I have to wait till I'm, you know, a grandmother to read it. But um, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, yeah, I just, I actually had read where she had found the story of Seabiscuit in old newspapers that she orders off eBay. And that's how she found out about Seabiscuit and how nobody had wanted that story because like, how do you write a book about a racehorse in a way that anybody would be interested in? And, you know, the right person got to it and was like, you need to read this and we're going to publish it. And then that's exactly what happened with Unbroken on the back. I believe it was on the back of a newspaper about Seabiscuit where she read about Zambrini. And from there, um, she was captivated and researched. And 10 years later, that book was born. And, you know, I'm so curious to learn about this, this next book she has and where the inspiration came from, because, you know, people just don't do things like that anymore. And I absolutely love that part about her stories. Ricky, what's another favorite? Um, so quite a stark contrast would be the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society by Marianne Schaefer. So I had actually read an epistolary formatted book before. Um, and I had just seen this book through another friend who's also a photographer on Instagram. And I was curious about the title. She said she loved it. And so I picked it up. And I was wary at first because and that format was so new to me. And then... I dove into it and I just loved it because Marianne Schaefer was able to bring to life these characters and their homes and their stories through a series of letters written back and forth between <clears throat> between the characters. And she did such a brilliant job at giving them all distinct personalities and just really building who they are, which is a very important factor in books is having unique voices and characters unique personalities and being true to who they are if they were real people versus written like, you know, in a book. Um, so I just, I love the story and I love again, where, you know, the characters on, on the Island, um, go through this struggle and they come up with this great tie into books and who doesn't love, you know, a book about books <laughs> and, um, you know, they overcome it. And, and then the, the original writer was able to to go to the island and it's just such a warm story, despite some hardships that come out that um, you can't help but love. Ricky, what's your final favorite? So this was a really big struggle for me. Um, I think originally I had chosen the secret garden because who doesn't love the secret garden? It's so much fun. But I didn't feel like I was doing a service to my taste in books. Um, and so we actually did a book club recently where I had recommended um, The Great Book by Neil Gaiman. And I had read this book years ago and decided to reread it, um, which was, it's the second book I've ever reread, ever. <laughs> and um, I loved it all over again. And so as much of a stark contrast as that is in, in my taste of books, because I'm not typically a, a moody or dark book reader, I'm very much in love with Gaiman's writing. And um yeah, this shocked me when she, when she said she loved that. I was like, what? <laughs> um, so it's it's because it starts in a real world setting again. And that's how Gaiman is able to create these incredible stories. And so it actually started, I read The Amer American Gods like nine plus years ago um, on a whim at work. I pulled it off the shelf, intrigued by the title. And I was like, this is a really good book my shelf ever since. And then I had a friend who was difficult to recommend books to. And I was like, well, maybe try this one. And I gave it to him. He read it, loved it, 
and then he read all, all of Gaiman's other books and he recommended the graveyard book to me. Um, and at first I was like, I don't know if I can do this book that my, my imagination is too vivid. It's too dark. I'm going to have literal nightmares from it. Um, but as I went, went on in the book, it was such a creative, unique idea that I was completely entranced with just the imagination it takes to write something like that, but also keep a real setting in it, which is again, another that I very much love. If you're going to write about anything sort of fantasy or magical realism, I like the real world setting in it. Um, and then, you know, Gaiman has a, a great story for his inspiration for that book too, um, based on the jungle book and the story of his, his toddler riding a tricycle and, um, riding through the graveyard across the street from where he lived. And, uh, it's just, it's an incredible, incredible way to like formulate, to, to formulate a story. Um, and just to be again, so, so creative, so imaginative and so real all at the same time. Ricky, what's the book that wasn't for you? Uh, another tough question. Um, so I've only ever put down one book. I love to finish books. I will power through me if, if I don't like them because I feel that I learned something either way. Um, but one book partic- in particular rubbed me the wrong way, which um, was Julie and Julia by Julie Powell. And I loved the movie. I think the movie is so fun. I, it's one that I would watch over and over again. Um, so I was so excited to read her book. I was so excited to dive in um, and learn more about her story you know, on what I felt would probably be a slightly more intimate level. But as I started, it was too intimate <laughs> where she shared details that I just feel were better left in her own mind. Like the things you do as a child that maybe you're a little ashamed of, you don't need to share about, they don't need to be put in a book. And by the time she crossed a boundary with talking about, you know, her dad and, and herself and, um, things like that. I was just like, you know, I just don't think I want to read anymore. And she, her character was very dislikable. Uh, there was nothing to really resonate with or to connect with. And I partly wish that I, if I had finished that I would have maybe felt differently with her as, cause she starts as like a child or very young and she grows into, you know, how she became the blogger and the cook and the connection with, um, Julia child. But I just couldn't get past the, the early years and the way that she she had written it all I I couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't do it that's funny I did not remember all those details because I read it forever ago and I had been really really excited about it because I'd read an excerpt in Bon Appetit magazine that was really really funny and I know it involved butter and making a pilgrimage to the Smithsonian when the Julia Child exhibit was there with her with her pound of butter because she thought that would be a fitting tribute. And that's still like, that's a great piece. And it's the best part of the book. So maybe Bon Appetit has it online. Well, and that's where I was thinking, like, you know, if I had read more, I probably would have enjoyed the second half. But I was so dissuaded from the first half that I, I couldn't keep going or I just, I didn't want to, I was so, so annoyed that I was like, there's other things I could be reading that make me not feel, not feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. You talked earlier about how reading can be so intimate and sometimes it feels like an author. I mean, it's, it's a nonfiction memoir. Like sometimes it feels like the author is sharing details that are so intimate that you shouldn't really be reading them. And that's maybe a very tactful way of describing how I felt about that one. Yeah. And, and typically that's something I would love, you know, like 
the the letter form of writing with in in Guernsey, you know, that's that's a pretty intimate portrayal. I think reading more or less someone else's letters, even if, even if it's up, um, is fun, and I like those details. But in it was completely different in in Julia Powell's book, and so yeah, I just it wasn't the same for me. I hear you. That's a lot to go on, but also a whole lot of conflicting information. Do you have, when you think about the characteristics you're looking for in a buddy read, how would you sum that up? Uh, good writing is is paramount for us. Like we're buddy reading right now, East of Eden, and we both agree we would read John Steinbeck's- Scratching that off my list. <laughs> grocery list. We love, he's so immersive. His characters are so real. And those are really important. Both of us, character-driven, mm-hmm. I feel like, is Characters a big tenet. are very, very important to me. Um, so there's a couple other books that I could absolutely rage about that were maybe good plots or stories. But if you, if the characters aren't solid and have unique voices, that is going to be an instant, like, big red fat X book for me. I cannot read books that don't have well-written characters in them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good writing. The other thing is characters are very important. Really solid, um, like time and place and setting because we do mm-hmm. use as literary dinner party fodder, and those tend to need something that you can pull from. A lot of, um, you know, some contemporary novels just don't quite have the same impactful setting as. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends, obviously, but. That's another big factor for us that we consider. And not that it has to be blatantly obvious either. We don't really need, you know, the food they ate spelled out for right. us. Um, it is helpful, <laughs> but it's not a requirement because we can get really creative with with any other element that is in the book that's, you know, well-written. Okay. I can work with that. This will be fun. Michaela and Ricky. Okay. I have a long, crazy list. Are you ready to dive in? Yes. yes. Give it to us. Okay, so I see what you're saying. There's solid three lines in both your books, and there's lots of overlap. And obviously, uh, you said that you can learn something from finishing a book, whether or not it's like the book that speaks to your heart. So I feel like that gives me a lot of freedom to screw up. (laughs) No, we're 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 going to find you books you love. We're okay with books that we don't like, though, too. Like, even if, like, Weathering Heights for me, as wonderfully written as that book is, it really, oh, that last half, just, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I'm so glad I read that, and I never want to read it again. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I don't I don't understand it as, a, as anybody's favorite, per se. No offense. Um, but it just, it, it makes me frustrated and very conflicted. But it sticks with you. But it is beautifully written, and it's very atmospheric. It's not a forgettable book. Yeah. So there's credit where credit's due there. Okay. So I'm really taking to heart place and setting, atmosphere, good characters, good writing. Those are our four big... Yes. Can you have four cornerstones? Yeah, yeah. Those are our four big traits that we want to satisfy. How do you... I feel like you've done a Pride and Prejudice dinner party, but have you all read Persuasion? I haven't read Persuasion. That is the only Jane Austen novel I have not read. It's such a good book for fall. It's such a good book for fall. I think it would make an amazing dinner party. You've got the great atmosphere. You probably have the stuff on that top shelf of your pantry cabinet, wherever you keep your literary dinner party stuff, Michaela, because you've done a Pride and Prejudice party, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It came out beautifully. Yeah. Okay. So what do you know about Persuasion? I see the movie. 
and I'm nothing. <laughs> okay. So people are going to be grabbing their rotten tomatoes to throw, but I, I don't think there's a like amazing, charming, yes, I totally see the characters as I pictured them in my head or remotely close adaptation of persuasion. So, and the ending of the most recent one I saw, like truly has one of the worst on-screen kisses in the history of film. It's just, it's so bad. <laughs> the novel's so good and it's great for fall because it feels a little bit darker than Austin's previous works. Not like the graveyard book darker, but like Emma and Pride and Prejudice are so like smart and snappy yeah, and bright. Bouncy. Yes, they're bouncy. This is not bouncy because the heroine is an old lady who's like 28 or something insanely old like I'm that. Old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds right up my alley though. Yeah. So it's about a woman who basically broke up with her boyfriend and then regretted it for a really, really long time and has a chance for a do-over. And so it's, oh, it's just so good. It's perfect for fall. Can I stop there? Yes. <laughs> yes. I will absolutely. It would be so that. fun to read together. I actually don't read too much about books beforehand um, because I've learned quickly that expectations in books will ruin it for you. I don't like that to happen. Um, so yes, that's a good place to end okay we'll stop it right there perfect for book two what do you know about zora neale hurston i'm thinking about their eyes were watching god i've heard the title but i know nothing yeah same here okay here's what you need to know a lot of people start it and they think oh my gosh i can't read this it's so inaccessible because it's written in uh dialogue and it takes a little bit to catch the rhythm of it do either of you ever do audiobooks Yes. I listen to audiobooks when I go on my run every day. And that's like what motivates me to get out the door. This would be an amazing audiobook because you don't have to struggle with figuring out how to pronounce the dialogue that you're reading on the page. It won an Audi Award. You can get it. Ooh, I'm not going to recommend getting an unabridged book because sacrilege. But yes, <laughs> the unabridged is or the abridged is less than three hours. And the unabridged is only just about seven. And it's an Audi Award winner. It's really like this is a great one to do on audiobook and you won't have that same problem of feeling like, whoa, I'm not sure I can figure out how to get the hang of this if you do do it on audio. But if you do persevere for the first 20, 25 pages, I think you'll get it. And when I say dialogue, I'm, um, or di did I say dialogue? Dialect. Yeah. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. Lots of us had to read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer in school where, do you know how he writes some of the characters words like the way they sound and not right so that's what i'm talking about but you'll get the hang of it so this is very atmospheric set in the in the deep south in the florida everglades it was written in oh i love it okay is that a good start mm -hmm. it's set in i think the 20s my favorite <laughs> loves that time setting too not not quite gatsby here um no. Yeah, but good. I'm glad you like that era. Okay, so based on what you said about expectations, I'm keeping the plot spare. This is the story of a young woman and her three husbands, one of which is her true love, one of which she is accused of murdering. And I just said the word murder, but at its heart, this is a love story. And it's a kind of book that I think a lot of readers have said they have a hard time understanding, like the description doesn't grab them, but then they start reading it and are like, oh, this, like, I didn't know it would be like this. And the writing is unique and really good. And 
also want to be careful using this word, but it's a really important work of American literature. And I know that it's you, Michaela, right? That's obsessed with the classics. Yes. So I think you would feel your life was richer if you could like put this on your I read it shelf. Definitely sold. That That's an important factor. And yeah. then just the way you describe like, um, you know, that I didn't know it was like this and yes. surprising rating. Like that's, yeah, that's exactly up my alley. So I think you've nailed very that. nailed both yeah. of our, our requirements in books. I'm excited to, to read that one. Okay. Fantastic. How do you feel about cookbooks? Well, you love cookbooks. They're super fun. We, uh, We've been reading ones that are based on books uh, like Voracious by Cara Nicoletti. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was super fun. I'm wondering, this might be too much of a stretch, but I'm wondering about My Kitchen Year by Ruth Reichel. Have you read it, encountered it? Do you know anything about this? I know who Ruth Reichel is, but I don't know about that book. Okay. Here's why I like this for you. It is a cookbook. It's 136 recipes that she said saved her life. Like this was written the year after Gourmet Magazine very unexpectedly folded in 2009. And all of a sudden she didn't know what she was going to do when she woke up in the morning. So she kind of cooked her way through, like going back to cooking for fun, for herself, for her family, for friends, because she wanted to, not because she had to in any sense. So what I like about this is that Every single recipe is introduced by a personal essay. There is a huge amount of non-recipe text or non-directions text in the book. And she talks about wandering through Chinatown and getting unfamiliar dumplings and taking the subway all the way up to the last stop in Queens to go to this one little tiny restaurant that everybody who loved good Korean food knew was the only place you could possibly go to find, you know, whatever kind of dish. And then she and her husband spend a lot of time upstate, so they're going to the They're going to the farmer's market and they're going to the small shops and they're getting, you know, produce off their friends' farms. And you could do a lot with the upstate New York theme. You could do a whole lot with the New York City theme because that's where she lives. And so much of her essays are about just her wandering around New York City or maybe not wandering, but on a mission in New York City, like hunting down specific ingredients. And obviously you could cook from the book, but you wouldn't have to. You could get take out pot stickers and whatever else. I mean, that's what we tell other people too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the one who makes it look beautiful. So I will let you choose the menu for this thing, but I think there's a lot you could do with it and her reflections on how writing helped her get through and how food helped her get through. I think there's so much there to talk about because it's about food, but it's also about navigating life's major transitions. And even if you're, and that's huge. Yes. That's a, that's what I think makes a, a good cookbook is having, you know, some of your own experiences and story in there. So it really connects you to the book. And even though it's a cookbook, you can still be connected to it in that way, whether it's through beautiful photos or, or the, you know, the story of who you are or whatever. I think that's a really good element for a good cookbook. I'm glad to hear it. And also I think she has, she has a son. He's either going off to college or leaving college and finding a job, but there's another generation navigating a transition here. And there's so much to talk about about just coping with change in life? Uh, story of our lives in the last few years, yeah. we've both gone through a lot of change Yeah, in the last couple of years. Yeah. So that would be, that would really resonate with both of us, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. Of those three books, what do you think might be your next buddy read? Uh, we'll have to talk about it. <laughs> Probably Their Eyes Are Watching God. 
Yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty interesting. Although I am intrigued by persuasion, and I would love to add that to my list anyway. We're yeah, definitely gonna read persuasion at some point. Absolutely, and yeah. my kitchen year is definitely going to read all three. <laughs> <laughs> between great. the between the two of us, we're able to knock out a, a whole bunch of books, um, whether we read them together, which in this case obviously we will, um, or if you know just one of us does and the other person can't, then it's a good way to balance the amount of reading we try to always squeeze in into our, our short days. Well, I hope you enjoy them. And if any events that lead to photos of a literary nature emerge out of these three picks, I got to see them. Oh, Trust you will. <laughs> you will. Like, yeah, absolutely. We actually left our um, our next buddy read, maybe not the next one, but the one after the next, um, pretty open so that we could in, throw in a dinner party and, and read, add this to our TBR. <laughs> yeah. The next one's actually Brett's had revisited. Yeah, we, we encourage our book club to read it too. So Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I love that book and I've read it multiple times, so I can't wait to see what you do with that. You're surprised that I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, this was really fun. Thanks so much for talking books today. Yes, Thanks for having you. us. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ricky and Michaela today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for their buddy reads and to let them know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 98, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. See more of Ricky and Michaela's literary lifestyle at their blog, theardentbiblio.com, and follow them on Instagram at theardentbiblio. It's one of my favorites. Readers, if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate it so much if you could rate it or even better, review it on iTunes. I do not understand how the Apple algorithms work, but I do know that your ratings and especially your reviews are big factors when it comes to helping What Should I Read Next move up those iTunes charts. And that makes it so much easier for book lovers to find our show. Thanks in advance for taking two minutes to show your support this way. Hello there, at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Cheers!